Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, The Rapture, A Mystery, A New Thing, Part 17. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Please note, this episode will run a bit longer than our usual 20 to 40 minutes. I work very hard to stay in that time frame. However, and very occasionally, I can run outside that time frame on the long side. So please, enjoy this podcast episode as we finish summarizing our summer series. May you all be blessed of God. In that episode, we reviewed the four prevailing thoughts as to when the rapture or catching up will happen. We also looked at the issue of just how many people will be found in heaven because of this catching up event. Just what does the phrase thousands times thousands, quote unquote, mean with regard to the total number of saved people? We noted as well that we have two bodies, the one we are in now and a new one that is yet to come. We noted as well that Isaiah chapter 25 verse 8 says further, He will swallow up death in victory, or forever. We further noticed from Hosea chapter 13 verse 14, Will I deliver them from the power of Sheol? No, I will not. Will I redeem them from death? No, I will not. O death, bring on your plagues. O Sheol, bring on your destruction. My eyes will not show any compassion. Wow, that is harsh. Yet, it is the coming reality our Bibles say we are headed for if we are not saved in Christ. We found falsehoods in our Bibles and commentary such as this. Many will pretend to be the Messiah. These false messiahs will owe their success to the unbelief of the masses who prefer to believe the lie rather than acknowledge the truth and repent. It is also a tremendously misleading time today when people have renounced the Christian faith because it has been taken away from them by religious leaders. A gap has opened in which the demons are eager to find out more. Listen to our previous episode titled, The Rapture, A Mystery, A New Thing, Part 16. For more, listen to this entire summer series, The Rapture, A Mystery, A New Thing, Parts 1 through 17. Welcome to our very last episode in our summer series of 2022. In episode 7, we examined Matthew 24, verses 3 through 8, Mark 13, 3 through 8, and Luke chapter 21, 
verses 5 through 9. Our examination noted that it would seem that most of the differences that are frequently found in these books are not really there in this passage, especially where they all end in the last sentence. Remember, each passage is written by a different author for presentation to a different group of people who speak a different language than the other two. So, the fact there is such a tight similarity of all three passages tells us that what is being said is extremely important no matter who the audience is, whether in their day or ours. One thing we may also note is how all three authors allude to the fact that the time is near, but not yet. This fact is also reiterated later in the New Testament. In the eighth episode of our podcast, we examined these same New Testament books mentioned above. These three books gave us more insight. This is about the end of the age, or the end of the Great Tribulation period. Then, what is immediately coming at the end of the age, or Great Tribulation period? While both are rendered differently, they both mean the same thing. So, even though it may seem at first that we have an answer to a definite day and time, we do not. Nonetheless, these scripture passages are twisted that way by some teaching them to say what scripture really does not say. Not everywhere, but here in America, I have seen many twist the meaning of these and many other verses. Again, we have no defined time no leading prophecy to even give us a clue outside of some scripture that tells us to keep our eyes open and looking toward heaven. Notice, we have heard what the gospel writers said before. I mentioned how they sound like the writings in the book of Revelation. Notice, look, he is returning with the clouds, and every eye will see him even those who pierced him, and all the tribes on the earth will mourn because of him. This will certainly come to pass. Amen. From Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Notice how this portion of Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 is in italics. He is returning with the clouds, and every eye will see him even those who pierced him. Hama. The rest of the verse is in normal text. This is presented this way because it is a quote from another known Bible writer in the Bible. Matthew was one of many others who come to mind. Again, this is a very clear and blatant return of Christ. Described here is a very vivid and very much seen event by the whole world, not the hidden return of Christ before the Great Tribulation begins, not a particular return of Christ that the world does not see and only marks afterward, later still will be downplayed. Now, notice this, Matthew 24, verse 34, I tell you the truth, 
this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Mark chapter 13, verse 30. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And Luke chapter 21, verse 32. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Given the way each writer speaks, here again we see all three men speaking identically. These three verses point directly to a specific generation of people on this earth. This specific generation of people will not pass away, or as we would say today, they will not die until all these things take place. Keep in mind, today, a generation timeline is ambiguously defined with more than one end. In Bible times, a generation was approximately 40 years. Also, what are, quote, all these things, end quote? The next question we also need to ask is, are we seeing all these things happening now because we are that specific generation of people? Many would say yes. However, let us be a bit reserved in our observations of this passage and our world issues so we can truthfully see just what this passage is telling us. Our excitement can overrun what is really happening. This is due to our excitement helping us read into Scripture things that are not really what Scripture is truly telling us. So again, I will issue the warning that we need to be careful when examining Scripture this way, meaning finding many verses in different books of the Bible that speak of one subject. Are, quote, all these things, end quote, listed in the above Scripture we studied earlier in this series? Jesus, in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tells us what these four things are as follows. 1. Watch out that no one misleads you. What is the reason for this that Christ says this first? He tells us why. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will mislead many. Not a few, not some, but many. 2. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. What reasoning does Jesus give us for this comment? Quote, Make sure that you are not alarmed, for this must happen, but the end is still to come. End quote. 3. For nation will rise up in arms against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. 4. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Remember, in all three books, we are told, in item 2, that the end is still to come, for it is not when all these things begin to happen. It is when all these things happen together, at the very least. 
Our Bibles tell us that the world will be consumed by fire in the same way it was flooded in the book of Genesis. Notice what will be left when this work is complete. The earth will stagger around like a drunk. It will sway back and forth like a hut in a windstorm. Its sin will weigh it down, and it will fall and never get up again. From Isaiah chapter 24, verse 20. Digging deeper, let us examine this hidden return of Christ in this parable, the parable of the ten virgins. Our passage reads, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of the virgins were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish ones took their lamps, they did not take extra olive oil with them. But the wise ones took flasks of olive oil with their lamps. When the bridegroom was delayed a long time, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, the bridegroom is here! Come out and meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There won't be enough for you and for us. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they had gone to buy it, the bridegroom arrived, and those who were ready went inside with him to the wedding banquet. Then the door was shut. Later, the other virgins came, too, saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. Therefore, stay alert, because you do not know the day or the hour. From Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Once again, we read the words, quote, Stay alert, because you do not know the day or the hour. End quote. Therefore, be warned, as Scripture says, we need to be. In the parable of the ten virgins, verse 1 says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Quoting, Shall be likened, or shall resemble, the meaning is, when the Son of Man returns to judgment, it shall be as it was in the case of ten virgins in a marriage ceremony. The coming of Christ to receive his people to himself is often represented under the similitude of a marriage, the church being represented as his spouse or bride. The marriage relation is the most tender, firm, and endearing of any known on earth, and on this account it fitly represents the union of believers to Christ. From Barnes New Testament Notes Notice the type of relationship we are supposed to have with our Lord, Jesus. We just read, The coming of Christ to receive his people to himself is often represented under the similitude of a marriage, 
the church being represented as his spouse or bride. The, quote, church, end quote, his bride, is all of us, male and female, who are saved by his grace and are known to him through our conversion and receiving his forgiveness for our sins. Because this is a parable, a similitude, it is used as an example to say something else. It also speaks to the fact that our relationship to Christ through our salvation in Him is taken with, at the very least, the same degree of seriousness and honor that a groom has for his bride. Like that, how profoundly connected we are to Christ and He to us. We see this wedding ceremony in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verses 6 through 10, which reads, Then I heard what sounded like the voice of a vast throng, like the roar of many waters and like loud crashes of thunder. They were shouting, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the all-powerful reigns, let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory because the wedding celebration of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. She was permitted to be dressed in bright, clean, fine linen, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write the following. Blessed are those who are invited to the banquet at the wedding celebration of the Lamb. He also said to me, These are the true words of God. So I threw myself down at his feet to worship him. But he said, Do not do this. I am only a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony about Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony about Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Verse 7 is our cross-reference. For clarity, it read, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory because the wedding celebration of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. We have learned that this catching up does not happen right away or when we may want it to happen. We now learn of a further delay or what appears to be a delay at the very least. Note, the bridegroom tarried, that is, while they waited for him. It was uncertain at what time he would come. He delayed longer than they expected. From Barnes' New Testament Notes. Did you notice that last comment? He delayed longer than they expected. Is this not where many of God's people are today, wondering when he is going to come and why he has not already come? This firms up further the previous notion of him not coming for his bride at a predetermined day and hour. For just when everything might line up 
for one to say when he might come, a delay of Christ that is longer than expected occurs. This is not to say he will not come for his people providing the catching up or rapture. It is to say more fully that no one knows or ever will know a specific day and hour of his return to catch up his earthly people. Only the Father knows, since he is the one who will release Jesus to come for his church, those who are saved in him. We should therefore understand that Christ's arrival for his church is in this time of waiting with no prominent declaration of a day and hour. This is much like the waiting in the parable of the ten virgins, as we previously read. This time of waiting unexpectedly for his arrival, this time that could actually be what Scripture says are these present days right now. Also, we could be that generation that sees all these things take place before we are called home to permanently reside in heaven. We should note that until all people of a particular generation have died, that generation is still alive on earth. While a bit grim, it is fact nonetheless. Scripture tells us to stay alert. Even Jesus' own words are, stay alert! Exclamation point. That means that Jesus was emphatic and assertive when he said, stay alert! So, why do we read about these ten virgins falling asleep? How can one fall asleep and somehow still be alert? Do not military personnel go to bed so they are fully rested for their deployment assignment and during their deployment assignment while they are said to be on alert? Waiting till near midnight, they fell into repose. This circumstance is not to be pressed to prove that all Christians will be asleep or cold and careless when the Lord Jesus will come. It will not be true. Many may be so, but many also will be looking for his coming. This circumstance is designed simply to show more clearly the duty of being ready. It does not mean to affirm it as a fact that none will be ready. From Barnes' New Testament Notes. In this use of, quote, asleep, end quote, it does not necessarily mean what we take of this word at first read. The word asleep is used for several other things that make the word relevant to this usage. Other meanings for the word asleep are inactive, dormant, in or into a state of apathy or indifference, into a state of numbness, indifferent. A common meaning example this dictionary uses for indifference is politicians who are asleep to the needs of their constituents. From the Free Dictionary by Farlex. So there lies the mystery of this word, sleep or asleep. One can be wide awake while asleep to the world around them. 
Notice further, these six items the Thessalonians had firmly in mind. 1. They lived as if they were, quote, waiting, end quote, for his return. 2. They fully believed in it. 3. They expected it. 4. They were looking out for it. 5. Not knowing when it might occur. 6. It might occur at any moment. These six items were very well rooted in the minds of the Thessalonians. How well rooted in your mind are these six items? But of the times and the seasons. The reference here is to the coming of the Lord Jesus and to the events connected with his advent. You have no need that I write unto you, that is, they had received all the information on the particular point to which he refers, which it was necessary they should have. He seems to refer to the suddenness of his coming. It is evident from this, as well as from other parts of this epistle, that this had been, from some cause, a prominent topic which he had dwelt on when he was with them from Barnes' New Testament Notes. Barnes referenced also 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. The minor context is verse 8 through 10, of which I will read. For from you the message of the Lord has echoed forth not just in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place reports of your faith in God have spread so that we do not need to say anything. For people everywhere report how you welcomed us and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, our Deliverer from the coming wrath. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. They lived as if they were, quote, waiting, end quote, for his return. They fully believed in it. They expected it. They were looking out for it, not knowing when it might occur, and as it might occur at any moment. They were, therefore, dead to the world and were animated with an earnest desire to do good. It is eminently adapted to comfort the hearts of true Christians in the sorrows, bereavements, and sicknesses of life, to lead us to watchfulness and to an earnest inquiry into the question where we are prepared to meet him, to make us dead to the world, and to lead us to act as becomes the children of light. From Barnes' New Testament Notes. Barnes' New Testament Notes also told us, A thief comes without giving any warning or any indications of his approach. He not only gives none, but he is careful that none shall be given. It is a point with him that, if possible, the man whose house he is about to rob shall have no means of ascertaining his approach until he comes 
suddenly upon him. In this way, the Lord Jesus will return to judgment, and this proves that all the attempts to determine the day, the year, or the century when he will come must be fallacious. He intends that his coming to this world shall be sudden and unexpected. Is there anything else in which his coming will resemble that of a thief? And if this be the true point of comparison, how can it be true that men can ascertain when this is to occur? Assuredly, if they can, his coming will not be like that of a thief. In our next passage, we examined verse 3. For clarity, verse 3 reads, Now when they are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will surely not escape. As of the posting of this podcast in 2022, news reports from around the world speak of issues involving sickness, greatly increased hunger, an increase in the total number of poor people, troublesome stability issues with wars and rumors or threats of war very much in play. Where is the peace and security or safety that this verse speaks of in that? For when they shall say peace and safety, that is, when the wicked shall say this, for the apostle here refers only to those on whom sudden destruction will come. It is clear from this, one, that when the Lord Jesus will come, the world will not all be converted. There will be some to be, quote, destroyed, end quote. How large this proportion will be, it is impossible now to ascertain. This supposition, however, is not inconsistent with the belief that there will be a general prevalence of the gospel before that period. 2. The impenitent and wicked world will be sunk in carnal security when he comes. They will regard themselves as safe. They will see no danger. They will give no heed to warning. They will be unprepared for his advent. So it has always been. It seems to be an universal truth in regard to all the visitations of God to wicked men for punishment that he comes upon them at a time when they are not expecting him and that they have no faith in the predictions of his advent. So it was in the time of the flood, in the destruction of Sodom, Gomorrah, and Jerusalem, in the overthrow of Babylon. And so it will be when the Lord Jesus shall return to judge the world. From Barnes' New Testament Notes Quite possibly, the bad news here is that God considers all unsaved people as wicked. That is harsh. It is real harsh. It also is the truth 
unfortunately, if we believe our Bibles. Remember, for clarity, how this commentary passage opens. It said, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, that is, when the wicked shall say this, for the apostle here refers only to those on whom, quote, sudden destruction, end quote, will come. Quoting, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness for the day to overtake you like a thief would. For you all are sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through 5. Let nobody deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, God's wrath comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were at one time darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. From Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. From 1 John chapter 2, verse 8. The night has advanced toward dawn. The day is near. So then we must lay aside the works of darkness and put on the weapons of light. From Romans chapter 13, verse 12. At this point, you may remember my previous quoting of Ephesians chapter 6 and what is called the armor of God and how it is not a thing of human battle. It is of spiritual battle. Because the darkness is past and the true light now shines, the ancient systems of error under which men hated each other have passed away, and you are brought into the light of the true religion. Once you were in darkness, like others, now the light of the pure gospel shines around you, and that requires, as its distinguishing characteristic, love. Religion is often represented as light, and Christ spoke of himself and was spoken of as the light of the world. The word night in the New Testament is used to denote night literally, the starry heavens, and then it denotes a state of ignorance and crime, and is synonymous with the word darkness, as such deeds are committed commonly in the night. In this place, it seems to denote our present imperfect and obscure condition in this world as contrasted with the pure light of heaven. From Barnes New Testament Notes Staying alert is easily understandable. However, what does the word sober mean? At first read, 
the obvious reference is to not get drunk. However, sober means more than that, despite the fact sobriety is also meant. Sober also means habitually temperate as a sober man. Live a sober, righteous, and godly life, not mad or insane, not wild, visionary, or heated with passion, having the regular exercise of cool, dispassionate reason, regular, calm, not under the influence of passion, as sober judgment, a man in his sober senses, serious, solemn, grave. From Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary of American English. The word use in this biblical context means not only not being drunk, but, simply stated, of a clear mind and heart. If we are to live a righteous and godly life, we need both a clear or sober mind and heart. We are not to be mad, insane, wild, visionary, or heated with passion. We are to live a sober, righteous, and godly life. Now, notice this. Visionary? What does visionary mean in this usage that seems so out of place? Visionary also means having the nature of fantasies or dreams, existing in imagination only, characterized by or given to apparitions, given to daydreams or reverie, not practical or realizable, utopian, one who is given to impractical or speculative ideas. From the Free Dictionary by Farlex. The last definition of visionary most aptly defines its usage in the statement we just read. For clarity, we noted, we are not to be mad, insane, wild, visionary, or heated with passion. Or it could be said this way, we are not to be mad, insane, wild, given to impractical or speculative ideas, or heated with passion. These are all things that our Bibles encourage us not to be. Yes, one can be passionate about things, but the passion that is spoken of here is that passion associated with sinful lust. That is, where the difference is between being passionate about something and having lustful passion. Nonetheless, be sober. It properly means to be temperate or abstinent especially in respect to wine. Then it is used in a more general sense, as meaning to be sober-minded, watchful, circumspect. In this passage, there is an allusion to the fact that persons not only sleep in the night, but that they are frequently drunken in the night also. The idea is that the Lord Jesus, when he comes, will find the wicked sunk not only in carnal security, 
but in sinful indulgences, and that those who are Christians ought not only to be awake and to watch as in the daytime, but to be temperate. They ought to be like persons engaged in the sober, honest, and appropriate employments of the day, and not like those who waste their days in sleep and their nights in revelry. A man who expects soon to see the Son of God coming to judgment ought to be a sober man. Whether male or female, the usage of the word man here means mankind or male and female. Are you ready for Christ to come without notice of the world before the great tribulation period starts? Are you sober and watching despite the fact you need sleep at night? Are you truly sober-minded, watchful, and circumspect? Next week, we will start to examine the book of Titus, a very infrequently examined book of the New Testament. Many who preach or teach on something else only use Titus as a reference, simply grabbing a verse or two. So to be different, we will start a study on these 16 verses by Titus. Join us next week for our episode title, Titus Task on Crete, Part 1. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation Free Version. Also, please check our show notes for links to our website and other information you may want to know. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched, currently an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Thank you all so much. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to Be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. So, you should be able to find us on a platform you like. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sunday's U.S. East Coast time zone. 
these sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Many sooner than others. Our website is located at this internet address, unchurched.site123.me. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.